0: Hey, have you ever wanted to create your own podcast and share your own light bulb moments with the world? If so, now's the perfect time to do so because audio is the future of the internet and Anchor is a perfect place to do it. So Anchor is a podcasting platform you can find at anchor.fm and it's what we use to create the light bulb moment podcast. So Anchor is amazing because first of all, it's completely free to use. Yep, completely free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. So I've used Anchor to record with other guests on a mobile app, and you can also edit on your computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you across so many platforms, so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other major podcast streaming sites, so you don't have to set up individual accounts and try to distribute to all of those places. And you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum subscribers needed. And it's basically everything you need to record, edit, and publish your podcast in one place all for free. So I highly encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Good luck.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Genika Pinnum. I'm one of the co-founders of Ida. At Ida, we connect female founders to investors, one-on-one mentoring and resources to help grow your business. In today's episode, we have Naomi, originally from Congo and currently lives in Toronto. She's a founder of Aluka that helps family members in the States help pay the medical bills of people living in other countries like Congo. Welcome, Naomi.
2: Hello.
1: Hello, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining
2: us. I'm great, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, um, I originally met Naomi, was it like two years ago um, when we were at the Forbes conference, right? Or is it a year and a half ago?
2: I honestly stopped keeping track, but I do think it's, it sounds like it was two years ago. Because 2020 was a write-off. So I think it was, uh, 20, it was two years ago
1: years ago that's true that's That's where i met her uh and we hit it off right away and it's really my pleasure to be hosting you after it all to stay connected with you and to be hosting you right now i know that you're working on some exciting stuff so i kind of wanted our audience to know what you've been working on and what inspired you to start a weekend
2: for sure um so i I mean i guess do you want me to answer that quickly? So, long story short, I'm originally from Congo, Kinshasa, right mm-hmm. in the middle of Africa. Um, my family immigrated to uh, Canada, like, 20 years ago. Wow, time flies. Um, and so, what is very common for a lot of immigrant families is if you're, like, the lucky one that got to get out of your home country, you uh, become financially responsible for your family that's still living back home. So, my mom sends money literally, like, over 2000 worth of money every month uh, to uh, a family member with a friend or a cousin, something, that person will have to go to Western Union, pick up the money, and then help pay for healthcare expenses for my grandparents and my uncle, who are ill. So my grandparents, they both passed away. um, And then my uncle, who's left, he has a mental disorder, so he requires regular medical checkups. And so what happens with that, that story is actually quite common with a lot of immigrants. My mom is not very unique in that way. And what happens with that is when she sends the money to this, like, third party, family, friend, cousin, whatever, what my mom noticed is she often gets ripped off. And because culturally money is a the subject, you're not going to ask for a receipt, apparently. So she'll notice that when she sends that, way, she'll get ripped off. Like she'll send money on Monday. By Wednesday, she gets another call. Oh, that wasn't enough. But when she's in Congo and doing the errands herself, like she sees that she sees a lot of money, and so that's when the Aluki came to me, and that's how it was born a year and three months ago, and we're still working on the app and hoping to launch this summer.
1: That's a very true story, and I think that's almost very relatable because it happens in a lot of cultures, you know, especially immigrant cultures where. Um, You send money to people, family members um, in different countries for various reasons, and healthcare is, I guess, one of the major uh, contributors to that. And it's also very important reasons, I feel like, uh, to when you send money over for healthcare reasons, it's you know supposed to be put to that use um, because it's a very sensitive matter and it's a very urgent matter. And I completely agree that um, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. No, uh, we, we totally know, um, you know, as being from India and stuff, uh, you know, in, in, in our community too, uh, people send money uh, over to India for many different reasons and healthcare would always be like a very urgent matter. Like, even for us living here, money is also, you know, it's important. Like, we, we also work very hard for it, so we want it to be going towards that particular purpose and not being withdrawn in the middle. Um, so, look. Exactly. Yeah, seems like a perfect concept. So, tell me a little bit about your vision for that, and like how you see that working.
2: Honestly, the way we're see, um we're um we're building the app. Um, at least the first year, my focus is more functionality. So, I've established because my previous startup, Stats Congo, which did well, hence why we met at the Forbes conference. Um, I was able to establish relationships with local healthcare providers. So we're targeting pharmacists, doctors, and uh, lab technicians. Mm-hmm. So you kind of go into the journey of the, of the patient, right? The patient, you know, when they're sick, they go to the doctor. The mm-hmm. doctor, going to the doctor in Congo, it's, there's a fee. You pay for that, and then the doctor does the diagnostics. And then after that, usually the journey of the patient goes uh, lab for sample, urine sample, you name it, blood. Um, and they usually also go through there's some obvious disease like malaria. These are often reoccurring illnesses. Usually they're treated by the drug. Um, and if there's a need for like extensive treatment, that's like surgery, then they go back to the hospital for bigger treatments. But usually the journey of the patient is those three. So I've established relationships with key hospitals, um, more medium-sized, so there's less overhead um pharmacy and labs in congo started with kinshasa which is the capital city where there's the most population we're, we're onboarding them as we speak onto the, uh, the app and then in the west which is um starting with canada and the us um and western europe so belgium netherlands uh france which where you have the dominant immigrant congolese population those guys it's just a matter of like logging on they put the information their information, the information of the family member in Congo. They pick the healthcare provider, I'm assuming based on location. Because we mapped it out so that there's a healthcare provider in different regions of the city. They pick the healthcare provider and then they pay and all they have to do now is for their loved one to show up for the treatment. So that's kinda of how we structured it for the mm-hmm. first year and the dream will be that long term it'll just be a matter of automating the onboarding so any healthcare provider can create an account kind of like airbnb but we still have to make sure that they are of a certain standard because we can't just have any institution be part
0: of it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely um i have so many questions because it's like so international (laughs) that um it's amazing that you had this vision and being able to work through with it i guess for many people here um one of the common questions that will be popping up is you know what about insurance right like does insurance cover those bills Um, So, I don't know about Congo, but I guess um, in India, insurance isn't really a big thing, um, especially for common healthcare. It's not really widely popular, nor is it used, so money goes out of pocket. Uh, Whatever the bill is, we have to pay out of pocket, and we have to pay it right then and there. Um, The luxury of insurance covering doesn't really exist in many countries. Um, How about Congo and many countries uh, that you've um, probably seen?
2: yeah I think the insurance scheme system is becoming quite common in Congo actually mm-hmm. to, to be fair. Um, it's actually becoming quite popular locally and it's actually quite successful because I think which was shocking to me because in our culture similar to the Indian culture, it's very cash transaction. it's always based on urgencies, not necessarily this idea of like prevention. So um, it's becoming common, but for the first year, and this is where, again, anyone listening who wants to create an app or who wants to create a business, there's 10,000 problems we can solve here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for the first year, my focus is really more the transparency. I just want to make sure that, say that your parents were paying for auntie in Mumbai, they see where the money's going. It's going directly to the doctor or to the pharmacy or to the lab. Mm-hmm. so your auntie doesn't even have to worry about the money so the first year my focus is just to make that payment transparent and in between we, we make a commission of eight percent for transaction but that's just creating really my focus now later on um if i i see that there's an opportunity for the insurance model to come in i'm definitely open to entertaining it But it's a beautiful model
1: yeah definitely uh thank you for uh, clarifying that and I'm glad to hear that insurance and stuff has been growing more in Congo and other countries because you know I feel like that should be available to many countries, especially um, you know upcoming growing countries like Congo and India and um, there are many other countries that would probably benefit from it because that's where a lot of um, you, know, you see a lot of um, health issues like even ones that are probably not as common as in the States, but you see them in um, in these developing countries for sure. My next one would probably yeah. be, um, is you know you live in Toronto and I know that you've also com- uh, commute between California and Toronto recently. Um, how is that? Like you know, you, but you're building you know one of the bases. Obviously, going to be Congo, right? You're gonna have to make sure that all of the things are set up on that end of the spectrum. How are you doing this internationally?
2: I think this um, the beauty of technology is. Honestly, it allows me to do this really well, actually. So, funny enough, my, old, my entire team um, is super remote. So, my tech team um, is actually based out of Nigeria, mm-hmm. Lagos. Uh, that's where the best, in my opinion, the best tech talents are right now in Africa. Um, and then my advisory board, which, by the way, anybody who aspires to be an entrepreneur and start a business... One of the biggest things you should get is get three, four people that are smarter than you in particular areas like finance, tech, and so forth to come on board as advisory. They're based out of Toronto. And then my my partnerships with the hospitals and stuff like that, it's in Congo. So what I'm pretty much doing, I feel like I'm more like a, product, a project manager. I'm just the glue. I establish relationships all over the world. And I just make sure that I follow up with each. And obviously each relationship has some level of incentive, right? So mm-hmm. for my tech team, they're getting, pay- they're getting paid. Mm-hmm. And I love it because I really believe in building um, the Africa that I want to see. Um, and so I would love, to- I decided to really partner with them. And for that reason, and they're young talents at my age. And so with those guys, we have bi-weekly meetings on Zoom. Every two weeks on Friday mornings. Mm-hmm. the And at the beginning of the project, I'm very particular on like deliverables and agenda items. So I set up like an Excel sheet. And I was like, all right, so how long do you think this is going to take realistically speaking? And usually developers have learned, they underestimate timelines. <laughs> so if they tell you two months, honestly, add another two months. Like, with okay. all the respect, I think they're very eager, but yeah. they're not always realistic about timelines. So I actually like, and because I, I got that experience in my past project, I kind of knew going in. And when you're building an app of this magnitude, like to be realistic, you have to double the time because you also have to test the app. And then in my case, and again, this is an advice I'll give to anybody going into the, the tech space but doesn't have a tech background like myself. I think the future of tech is really more on the front end. So you have backend, front end, UX, UI and so forth. Mm-hmm. I think backend is very standardized now front end I think is the future meaning there's a lot going into branding and aesthetic mm-hmm. me being me I like pretty th- I like pretty things and <laughs> <So laughs> LinkedIn my Instagram you see that I like branding yeah. so I also did the wiggle room of like when we have meetings we have to go over iterating stuff and then with my advisory board we have conference calls once every uh, month that where I update them on my the financials, on the tech aspect. So they're more like my accountability. Mm-hmm. And then the hospitals in, in Congo, at this stage, it's more about partnerships, building those partnerships, keeping them, having a point of contact, and so forth. So it's just a matter of like, you are like the coordinator almost, and you do a lot of Google calendars and Zoom meetings. It works really well, to be honest.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's, it, I feel like this everybody going virtual has been a blessing in disguise for a lot of companies because we realize now that we can work remotely you know it's possible and internationally it has opened a lot of doors to be able to work very smoothly because we realize now you know it's it's also possible to do this uh, better than ever and efficiently and as for uh the ui design part the front end part of it uh believe it or not we ran into quite a bit of issues with the right front end ourselves Um, So Ida has been developing an app for months now. Um, It should be coming up in a couple of months. Uh, But, yeah, we we ran into a couple of issues, and one of them being, you know, uh, the time estimate is always way less than what it takes. And, honestly, I think it's because of the bugs, and it's because of going back and forth and sort of perfecting the user experience um,
2: on our end. Exactly. Like That is so true. Exactly. That is so true. You said it so well.
1: Yeah, and um, one one story that happened for us, and I don't know if um, it happened for you, I think the other part of working remotely is that new communication has to be perfect, and both sides too. Sometimes it's it just gets lost. Um, our designs turned out to be, we approved them, and then that contractor went ahead and changed the colors and changed uh, you know some of the minute details uh, without consulting us because he understood us wrong, and that set us back another two weeks. Um, Believe it or not, so it, it has a lot to do with communication and meeting with your tech team and being very really precise on what you want and making sure that you know every step of the way. Even if you don't understand tech, like I don't understand a lot of um, you know engineering and all those aspects of it, but what I do understand, like you, is does it look good? You know, does the user experience look good? Do I want to go through this app? And that's something that um, that always takes time going back and forth.
2: Exactly, and you, we're just, like, learning, yeah. and you just have to be willing to learn, and I think the biggest one is the pivot. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have to, I honestly tell people all the time, it's like, you have to learn to, like, you gotta have a vision. So really, people like us that don't have a tech background, but that have an idea, mm-hmm. your job is to be the visionary. Think of yourself as Steve Jobs. You're just setting the vision, negligent, like you're setting the vision... You know what consumers want. You know what the problem is. But you're literally having to pivot a lot. So one thing I've learned is timelines.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And it's really, really tough because in all reality, this is your business. This is your baby, right? The quicker you can roll it out, the faster you can let users tell you what to iterate. But the reality is because I don't know how to code. I don't know how to freaking do front-end, back-end i'm underestimating timelines but at the same time developers also with all the respect it's a bit of a stereotype they're honestly they're robotic you gotta know how to speak the language you gotta know what they're doing at the high level at the high level you don't need to know the details but you gotta know at the high level like i learned let me tell you i have (laughs) learned java i've learned like i don't even care about these things but i've had to learn okay guys let's stay focused this can be done there's ways to there's certain tools you can now use to yeah. cheat a bit when i say cheating i mean like to make things quicker but developers because they know too much they sometimes can make it more complicated than it needs to be so even for our front end because this is our first year we're still piloting Luca, i was like the front end we're doing webflow webflow is like wordpress it's like front end for dummies mm-hmm. so i'm like That way, we spend more time on the back end and on the design. But the front end itself, no. Like, we're not, which is is, this different aspect of that. But I I really would advise anybody that's in my shoe, in your shoe, have a high-level understanding of what's going on. But you don't need to be the expert. You just need to be the jack of all trades, master of none. Be flexible and be ready to pivot, but keep that long-term vision the same
1: the same yeah definitely and also it's okay to change your designs and ask them to uh you know kind of redo things because i feel like initially i felt guilty okay they've doubled up this now i'm asking to make you know certain changes and stuff but you know you as like you said you know how the end product should look like so it's okay for you to make those tweaks and ask them to like rebuild it even if it's completely different from what it is initially because maybe as you're moving along a little couple of things have changed and that always happens um at least on on our part um initially we we're like okay we sh- you know we should have known that before but sometimes you, you you know you end up changing a few things you end up uh, you know wanting to add things or take things away and that's completely okay too because at the end of the day it's you know it's your product and you should know um you know how it should look like at the end um, exactly So as for Luca, I know that, you know, you're building internationally and you're maintaining teams internationally as well, but I feel like one of the trickiest parts with international business, and you might uh, have a different experience with it, is to maintain those relationships and to build those relationships, uh, especially with, you know, different timelines, different cultural differences and all of that. Um, How are you faring with that?
2: Yeah, that's such a good question. That's a big one for a lot of people, and I think I also foresee this being a challenge, even like as we move forward with the app, because with apps, where the, my biggest thing is going to be response rate, right? Like mm-hmm. when a well a Western family member uh, individual goes on the app, selects the healthcare provider that's in Congo, mm-hmm. there's sort of like a turnaround time, right? Like we live in a tech world now, right? Response rate is a thing. Yeah. And my thing with the healthcare providers that we're onboarding, I'm like, you gotta respond fast. You know how it is, even in the Indian culture, Congolese culture, the notion of time is not a thing. Like, <laughs> I think
1: speed is we're a Western thing. We're fashionably
2: Like, most cultures around the world like, literally we're late, and we justify it. We don't feel bad. I know. <laughs> people, it's like, when you're late, you're like, well, no one di- no one died, so it's not a big deal. It's like, well, actually, it is, but... I think that literally, that's going to be a big challenge. But I think in terms of relationship, the, bi- the big one, I would say is, A, I'm at a pretty sweet spot because mm-hmm. I'm originally from Congo. I've been in Canada for years. But all of my project, even in university, when I was doing my placements and internships, I've really focused on my country because mm-hmm. I just believe you have to help your own kind. And so I've really built a relationship over the years from internship up until now. These are some of the same relationships I've built. and. It becomes a network effect. When you do a good job with one, mm-hmm. they refer you to others. And so with my last project, Congo that did really well. Those hospitals that I worked at, with to provide, we were doing, implementing electronic health records into hospitals. Um, those hospitals, I kept those relationships. And now with the LUCA, it's even sweeter for them because don't forget, with the LUCA, everybody wins, right? Mm-hmm. The hospitals, they obviously want to be a part of the LUCA because it's an additional revenue. Mm-hmm. so it's 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 kind of like I always tell people like when it comes to relationships I, I I hate to sound greedy or evil but and this is this is I think more um, in relationship to business anyone that will start a business you gotta make that value proposition crystal clear right these relationships there's different types of relationships there's a the mentorship relationship there's friendship there's family but these relationships are real are more like business relationships so these game, By making sure that they are on top of their craft because I'm bringing them additional revenue. Exactly. And so making that very clear. And then the relationships I have here in Canada, it's super important. And how we're actually getting customers in Canada, in the U.S. and Europe, I actually targeted churches because Congolese people, the African community is dominantly Christian. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those churches, they gain by getting the word out for Luca because... This financial responsibility that family members feel, getting ripped off, it's a huge burden. It affects Mm -hmm. them mentally. It makes them sad. So it affects their spirituality, right? So by having a tool like this, everybody gains. So I think when you have a really good product in your hand and you have a clear solution, a clear problem that you're solving, and you really iterate that really well, your customer, your user, like they're incentivized to get on board. But you have to make that very crystal clear, and that's how you maintain and foster those relationships.
1: Mm -hmm. That's very smart and also intuitive um, on your part. And I think one of the things that I do want to stress here is, you know, it doesn't matter if you're starting out in international business or you see your company going into international wars later on. Um, or like uh, Naomi was saying, a lot of like tech, uh, you know, people that are working on software might be from another country right now that those doors have opened. It's really important to know their culture and be very respectable of it and, you know, try to maybe exactly. like come up with a hybrid because, uh, yeah, in other countries, time is of a different concept. I you know, we want things now and, you know, meetings at 12, we, we come at 12 and... Um, and all that but in other countries it's a bit more laid-back it's uh they do things uh, very differently so uh, it's i think it's it's good to like maybe learn those things and be a little bit more open to those things exactly. rather than um be very american about it and i think that's even my parents they don't really understand why we need to be exactly in time different things you don't know how many parent exactly. teacher conferences relate to because they don't understand that our, <laughs> our our time is at a certain time <laughs> Exactly, and I think also
2: even to add to that too is like that's I think an advantage that I have, and I think I was listening to a amazing podcast actually the other day mm-hmm. while doing work. It was uh, Brene Brown interviewing Barack Obama. Wow! Uh,
1: for
2: his for his new book, A Road to Freedom*. It's such a good interview, and another good one that she did was uh, Brene was interviewing Melinda Gates, who works in the same sector as me, global. Health. But Barack said, "You that know, really hit me hard." He said exactly what you're saying. He was saying, he was like, sometimes the greatest leaders, what the the biggest mistake sometimes we make is that we fail to realize, sometimes your job is just to come in and observe.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You have to understand your population. You have to understand the people you're serving. And I think this is like, just to sort of circle it back even to business, or right now everybody wants to get into the tech space. Mm-hmm. The biggest mistake I think a lot of entrepreneurs make, the they, they, think they understand the problem that they're trying to solve, but they don't really get it. And the best way to really understand the problem is to sit on it. And I think for me, I'm very lucky being originally Congolese mm-hmm. and going back to Congo. And it's tough, right? Because as much as I'm Congolese on paper and physically I'm black, I've been in Canada most of my life. I'm extremely West So whenever I go back to Congo, it's a culture shock.
1: Yeah. Whenever
2: I'm on Zoom calls with doctors, it's a culture shock because... The mentality sometimes, I don't even identify. I relate more to a white girl in California sometimes than I do sometimes to my own kind. And that happens with a lot of immigrants. Mm-hmm. You tend to lose it of your culture. So with Aluka, it was very important to me because even, this is a good example too, um, part of uh, developing Aluka was doing user research, which I advise everyone to do that. So I did a mini survey of 10 questions. Asking, uh, Canadians, Americans, and, uh, Europeans, immigrants, how much they send per month? How much do they, how many family members do they care of? I was trying to understand the user. Mm-hmm. I did this, a similar survey for healthcare providers in Congo. Now, just to give you a bit of an idea, the one that I did with Westerners, I got 85%, uh, 85 people responded to the survey within 12 hours. I sent it to four people on WhatsApp, and the Congolese community spreads like flies. <laughs> They spread to the front. We got 85 response within 12 hours, which is impressive. And then two, three months later, I do a similar survey for healthcare providers in Congo. We got 55 responses in one month. One month. <laughs> 55 responses. And then I was like, I was frustrated. because, And I'm talking to my parents. And, and my, my dad is like, no, you need. like people in Congo barely answer emails. Like who has time for emails? Like, I, 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 was oh like, I was like, I was have time? I was like, Dad, what else are they doing with their time? Like, They're doing everything but emails. Like you send me a link on Google. You do a Google form that's like an open form. Yeah. you don't have to like have access. You send me a website with a link. The the survey has to be super short because in terms of internet, sometimes it's a struggle. So don't make a long survey, and that's it. And don't make it, like, short answer. Make it multiple choice. And, like, only, like, three, four multiple choices. So that kind of, like, cultural awareness, if you're going to deal with anything international, which is all my businesses, you have it's – a, it's a lot of on learning and relearning and just humbling yourself out. Okay. okay. And that's, a, that's
1: some great points right there. Um, using research is always tricky in general. Uh, but I think that especially if you're – if you have multiple um you know sides of it like you know you have to survey your people are sending the money people are receiving it and anybody in between that also comes out to be quite tricky when do you suggest like people do their user research like before they start developing the app is usually when i say they should um start sending out user research yeah so, yeah yeah for sure i think yeah yeah go ahead go ahead yeah oh no i'm just saying like it's it it's a proof of concept, and you get to like uh, make edits and stuff beforehand, uh, before you know, sitting down with your developers and stuff. Um, no. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Um, the other uh, good point that you brought up is, um, you know, having being an observer of those things. Um, and I know for you, Luca was, you know, initially very personal, you know, started with family members and stuff, but that really inspired you to start it. For any entrepreneurs who are, um, you know, who are trying to start their business, whether it's connecting people over internationally or home, where do you think that, I guess, like just starting it, like how does someone just, you know, get up and start something? I know it's like a odd way to put it, but um, is it from from inspiration or like proof of concept or the hybrid of both?
2: Yeah, I think. Um... It's it's tricky because in my case it's true. All of my whether it's that it Congo, Aluka, and by the way, I have a, a honey brand that's like made by women Congolese female farmers mm-hmm. in Congo that make honey. We're not we're now bringing it to California. Um, so rather all my businesses is true, like are all from Ypres, But I think sometimes in my case, I guess the honey one, the one that I, the honey one that I'm also launching. That's a good example of one that's not necessarily a problem per se, mm-hmm. but I did frame it into a problem. So for Congo, some people may not know this, we have one of the most fertile soils in the world, and our temperature is incredible, hence why we were colonized. And so we produce a lot of honey in Congo, um, But and a lot of agricultural farmers are actually women. Um, but for some reason, I think maybe culturally, honey is not very... Common in our culture, like we don't consume it that much, we prefer brown sugar. Um, so I saw that as an opportunity. I was like, in North America, there, I mean, North Americans love sugar, we love sweets, diabetes on the rise, which I don't encourage. But I, did, I asked one of my friends that's in finance, I was like, this is honey thing that you think people will actually want to buy. And that's another thing if you're not from a tech background, you're not from a business background, get yourself people in finance, they know the numbers. We did a quick research, and it turns out there's a shortage of honey throughout North America, especially the U.S. And the U.S., as much as we want to bash the American political system, everybody knows if you want to make it in business, the U.S. is your best market. Mm-hmm. So we did a bit of research, and it turns out that honey is in huge demand in the U.S. So with that one, that's an example of I didn't really see a problem per se. Mm-hmm. I saw an opportunity. There's a lot of honey being made buying it it's going literally to waste if you see how it goes into the sewage it's so sad I'm like let's bring it to the US where people have jobs and willing to buy it Yeah. and there you go so I think in my case it's true a lot of my ideas come from seeing problems I'm a huge advocate that the best businesses start with a problem simply because the reason why I say start with a problem is because from a sales marketing perspective you gotta think that way most people will pay anything to relieve any form of burden, emotional stress, financial stress, or to gain time. So if your business solves a problem, it's very likely to add value. And people want to pay for value. Now, that being said, there are some businesses out there, like, I love coffee shops. I'm a huge coffee shop fan. You will always see me at a coffee shop. Is a coffee shop a business solving a problem? No. No. <coughs> Let's be real. We can all make coffee at home as we should, but I just enjoy coffee shops. Yeah. So a coffee shop is a recreational business. So you can go that route where you look at businesses that are doing well and you pretty much say, hey, I kind of like this idea. It gives me the lifestyle that I want. Let me go into this business. But definitely in those cases, do a lot of market research to value because the coffee shops are great, but I've interviewed many coffee shop owners and be break even. You don't you don't build a lot of wealth with coffee shops. So that's an example.
1: That's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. And market research is so huge that one of the things that we are actually building the app for Ida is a lot to do with market research and really understanding your market. Because once you jump in and you start something, you know, you are already putting in time, you know, energy, money and all of that that if there is no I guess actual need for it it might go down the drain but finding opportunities and you know linking that with data like you're saying you know you found a great finance guy uh to prove that point is probably a great way to get started or to actually take a leap and invest yourself into it Um, exactly uh, so you were saying before that you know you have a great uh, advisory board team like financing people and um, others who can really advise you on that how did you go about um, you know building those connections because these people clearly would have to have some understanding of both the markets right
2: exactly yeah Um, I think literally one of the biggest things and a a lot of people um, ask me that and I completely the way I see advisory it's kind of like mentorship you just have to admit as an entrepreneur you don't know everything there are people out there that are more qualified to advise you Mm -hmm. and people actually want to advise and the beautiful thing about advisory board it's a very little commitment for that and i try to keep it light because these are busy people yeah i don't want to burden them with like weekly meetings and there's no need for that but in my case actually the first advisory member was actually a friend of mine um nathan we actually went to university together he went for business at studied health um, and he's really international, works in medical cannabis now. He has done um, like worked in agriculture for African countries. and like he's very successful for his age. So he came up to me and he was like, "You know, I, I'm, I'm a white guy. I can't sit on another meeting with a bunch of white male. like I wanna I want to actually like work with emerging entrepreneurs that don't just look like me. Mm-hmm. And although we're the same age, our skill sets are so different. It's very complementary. So that's the thing with an advisory. I wouldn't necessarily focus on age as much as I would focus on complementary skill sets. So Nathan, he's just a genius at business strategy. So he came up to me with that and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so we meet every uh, yeah, every month uh, for about an hour or so. And honestly, the beautiful thing about that is we're into a friendship. trip. We're literally, we've always been friends, but this brought us even closer. And with him, he has a huge network of friends in finance, obviously. Mm -hmm. So one of his really good friends, Richie, is like a finance guy. Think of someone who just looks like Bill Gates, literally. He looks exactly like Bill Gates. (laughs) And he loves Excel spreadsheets. He loves forecasting and investments. And so Richie, he's more my financial guy. He looks at my number. We just finished working on a pitch deck and literally, he pretty much did everything in my opinion. But he's the finest guy. And then I have my friend Davis, who's a computer science grad, who looks at all the coding that the Nigerian team is doing mm-hmm. and gives his final approval. And so I'm for the friendship route, whereas my first startup, Sets Congo, how I did it, I actually reached out. So my first startup, Sets Congo... I reached out to my professors. I was like, hey, this is what I'm working on. As an advisory, this is the level of commitment that is expected of you. Would you be down? So I would definitely, and that was great, but I look back, I realized like this time around, I have a stronger advisory mm-hmm. because they get the tech vision. They they get me, and the age really does help because we're from the same age and same generation, so they get the technology piece, whereas my older advisory board, they were great and knowledgeable, but they didn't really get the vision that I was going for. So I definitely advise you to get an advisory board and you can even reach out to people on LinkedIn. But just make sure my biggest thing I would say, be realistic on how you frame the timing. Mm-hmm. These are busy people. Really make sure that you're clear the commitment that's somebody expected. It could be once every three months and it's a an narrow meeting and then you just bombard them with questions and then they give you guidance. Kinda of like a consultant.
1: Definitely. That sounds almost like um, a mutually understanding relationship. That's you know, preset and stuff. Uh, you you brought up some uh, great advisory positions that I feel like everybody should hit. Like one is finance, one is a tech person. Um, what are some other ones that you have? For us, we also have someone who really understands the market, who's also like a woman entrepreneur, who understands like uh, how that your target market feels and works like. Um, but, you know, I'd love to hear who mm-hmm. else is your advisory, part of your advisory board.
2: For now, I've kept it that small. I may bring on one additional tech guy, because Davis mm-hmm. is a computer scientist, more big picture. Mm-hmm. But one of my other friends uh, who actually helped me build my, my apps before, he's very more into coding. Like, the guy's been coding since I was like eight years old. So in my case at this point, those are the only ones I'm going to stick with because I also do think when you have too many people, it gets distracting and overwhelming. Okay. And then there's one additional person that I may bring on. This guy, he's, a, he's out of uh, Abu Dhabi actually. Um, he works with hospitals. I'm going to need help with creating like policy and standardized of rigor of what hospitals are allowed to get on our platform and having some kind of accountability measure for these hospitals to improve mm-hmm. their services, stuff like that. So, but overall, maximum four to five advisory is what I'm aiming for. Yeah. That's it, because if, if too many people, you're, you're, it's just too much.
1: Definitely. Um, thank you so much for uh, shedding some light onto that part as well. really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Um,
1: so you're, you're looking to launch Right now, like, in about, uh, what's the timeline you have for yourself set? And how much has it changed since you have that, you know, that goal you had set?
2: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it, 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 you go from, like, setting a deadline to, like, I'm you're, like I'm just done with deadlines. Like, I'm, like, just get, get the ad done already. But we, I originally intended it to be done, like, literally at the beginning of February. But it's looking like it's going to be another month. Um. Until it's done, and then when I say it's done, let's be real. When I say it's done, it's gonna be ready for us to log on, test it out, and from that point on, there's gonna be more iterations before we actually make it publicly available. So I'm really aiming for May, June,
1: mm-hmm.
2: for it to go public. Um. So that's my timeline right now.
1: Yeah, and I asked that because it it always is um you know it's the case where you set yourself a timeline and it always gets changed for various reasons and a lot of times you know you feel sort of oh i'm god i'm missing on a lot of things i made some promises or you know i expected it to be done or maybe it's even a budget matter where you budget yourself for a certain number of months and you know it goes overboard yes and, yeah it i think that's definitely a, a common case It happens Uh, and I just want I guess our listeners to know that it happens to everyone it happened to Ida we were supposed to learn months ago but uh, you know we kept Mm. pushing the timeline and you know obviously that that impacts our um, our other things in life that's going on along with budget and you know who we're working with and stuff but you know don't be defeated by just a timeline just know that just it's a concept of time it's just it's fine you're you're gonna get there just I guess just keep keep your eye on the
2: big picture exactly
1: well thank you so much naomi for joining us today um we're all really excited for your app uh do let me know when it's launched i would love to uh you know take a look at it and test it out myself it sounds pretty exciting and i hope you do get to launch to many other countries soon after congo like india Uh, we're looking forward to that. And listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and share with the fellow entrepreneur. Thank you for listening to Ida, and you can find us at thinkida.com. Until next time, Ida. Decide app.